where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And you are wanted and you are valued here. We have stories of faith that connect us, whether you're in Connecticut, Colorado, the United States, or Europe, or anywhere in the world. What an interesting melody. I, I take credit for picking that hymn. Um, I had no idea it would sound like that. And, and it's interesting because it fits perfectly. You're going to see our music is going to transition from that piece you just heard, which I would call bittersweet. It was weird. The melody for me betrayed the words. But you're going to hear our music transition just like you're going to hear sort of our stories and our approach to scripture this morning transition. So stick with me and, and see if that makes sense to you um, at the end of the service. Because I wanted to begin by taking a look at where we've been for the last four weeks. And, and we've been through a lot sort of from a story perspective. And some of you I know from your stories have been through a lot personally as well. So this is gonna resonate in different ways. But remember we started on Palm Sunday. I mean, it'll, I'm picking the starting point of Palm Sunday. I could go back to Ash Wednesday, but I don't want to go that far. There's a lot I don't remember. So we're going to start with Palm Sunday. And you remember the procession and the new instrument that we were introduced to. And then we, we traveled through that to a public execution, which is really the most painful moment um, in our story. At least it is for me. There are other painful moments along the way, but that, that's just big and hard. And then we get to uh, the empty tomb, which is confusing. And then the road to Emmaus, which is also confusing. And then a locked room. And then a house. All these places where the empty tomb plays out with Jesus appearing to these people. And when I think of those places, um, you know, there's something about even the road to Emmaus feels a little constricted in that moment because they weren't seeing who it was that was with them on the road. And so there's a constriction. It reminds me of what it was like to live in Connecticut. There's so many trees that you always feel like you're walking under an umbrella. It also reminded me of um, the difference, I read this somewhere about, and this is so obvious, but it's a great metaphor of taking a teaspoon of salt and putting it in like a 12 ounce glass of water. It's a lot of salt. You would gargle with that, right? You wouldn't drink it. But if we take that same amount of salt and we put it in a very large container it becomes a very different taste on the palate, very different concentration. So the difference is, like those, those events of the last four weeks had a high concentration of salt. It was salt in that 12 ounce glass. And now here we are, we are at the last page in John's Gospel, chapter 21.
reading this on an ebook, we're at 99%. It's time to wrap it up. I mean, I know there's a lot of readers out here. I know some of you actually have the practice of reading the last chapter first, and then you go back to the beginning to see if you really want to read this book. And that's an interesting practice. I'm curious, we'll have to talk sometime about what you remember about the ending that led you back to the beginning. That go, but there's something about that, isn't it? So if you were only picking up this book for the first time and you went to chapter 21, you wouldn't know. There's so much you wouldn't know because it goes back to where it all began. Again, picking a starting point, right? So where it began for the disciples and their first encounter with Jesus. It starts at the Sea of Tiberias, which is also known as the Sea of Galilee. So if you think scripture is confusing, it is. It has multiple names for the same place. It has a lot of people that are unnamed. So it's always worth revisiting and then remembering. So here we are out on the Sea of Tiberias, and on the boat are Fishermen, Simon, actually Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, sons of Zebedee, and two others. And it's night. Even just hearing that it's night, you can just relax a little bit more, right? You don't have to worry about sunscreen or hats, even hydration in the same way. It's quieter. It's a time of different seeing. You can still see, but you see things a little bit differently. The light is different. And the vastness of the sea, the Sea of Galilee is huge, provides an opportunity for a different perspective, a larger container. Nestled somewhere between the shining stars and the support of the sea are these people on a boat. Doesn't seem like they're very busy because they haven't caught anything. And in fact, all through the night, they catch nothing. So maybe they're out there doing something else. Maybe they're remembering their first encounter with Jesus, which is, it was in that same region after a night of fishing. And maybe they're remembering the longing that led them to leave their nets and to follow him. To follow, to leave what was and to go to a place of what might be or what could be or what's possible. Maybe they're remembering their commitment to the following, that initial encounter, the commitment in their baptism, which incidentally was on the Jordan, which is one of four rivers that feeds into the Sea of Galilee. You see, it's all connected. Maybe they're remembering the feeding of the 5,000, which took place on the Sea of Galilee. A couple loaves and a few fish, where many, many, many were fed. Maybe they're remembering the time when Jesus calmed the seas in the storm. And the story says he walked on water and got into the boat with them. 
This time on the sea at night offers the time and space to let the fragments of the last several weeks settle. Time to remember and reflect. A time to reframe the narrative of their lives, particularly these past few years where Jesus was such a central part of their lives. And this reframing happens in the context of new experiences and new understandings. It's a revisionist history in a good way. The same amount of salt is now held in a much larger container, and it offers an expanded perspective. Where do you go for those moments to remember, reflect, reframe? If it's not a geographical place, perhaps it's a piece of music. Perhaps it's in your garden. Perhaps it's a picture that takes you there. So here we are, we pick up the story with Jesus on the beach. Now, they've already had some encounters with this person who's on the beach, who happens to be Jesus, and they're not sure of that yet. And Jesus says, hey, how's it going? And they say, well, we haven't caught anything. And he says, try the right side of the boat. Of course, the net gets filled with fish and they haul it in. And so there's Jesus on the beach and he's got a charcoal fire going. I do love the picture that's on the front of our, bu- uh, of our bulletin. It's not exactly charcoal, but it's really cool. I think that's a great image of Jesus on the beach. And so there's Jesus at the fire and he says, you know, Bring over some of the fish that you just caught and come and have breakfast. Now, Jesus already had fish on his fire. Don't know where he got it. Already had bread on his fire. Don't know where he got it. But he took the bread and he gave it to them and he did the same thing with the fish, just like in the feeding of the 5,000. And they knew who was serving them this meal. And I'm guessing that the memory of the charcoal fire just a few chapters earlier on the night that Jesus betrayed Jesus. So if you remember, or if you're not familiar with that part of the story, um, Peter denied knowing Jesus when it was all getting pretty scary and Jesus was being arrested. He's like, no, I don't know that guy. Oh, no, aren't you one of the disciples? I saw you. Oh, no, no, it wasn't me. Three times he did that. And there was a charcoal fire in that scene. He was actually warming himself at the fire, it says in chapter 18. So I'm guessing that wasn't lost on Simon Peter. Again, the confusion of scripture. Is it Peter? Is it Simon Peter? Is it Simon? Yes. And so... Peter and Jesus enter into this conversation. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, 
Do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. And then he said a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now I wanna just pause for a moment because how I imagine that scene might be different than how you imagine that scene. But there's something I think beautiful in that third asking when Peter finally says, you know everything. You've seen me at my best. You've seen me at my worst. You know I love you, as imperfect as it may be but I do. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and go to wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. Those growing edges, right? Where you do not wish to go. And based on that reading, those growing edges and those places we don't want to go are the places where there is redemption, reconciliation. And I hope you heard in that encounter with Jesus and Peter the respect. There was no shaming. There was not even the naming. You denied me three times, so tell me three times you love me. He didn't do that. He just gave him a chance to make good. And yesterday, I had one of those moments. I had one of those moments where I'm sure you've heard stories where things have not gone well when it comes to encounters with people having mental health crises and the police department. But I want to tell you a story that went really well. It was a moment of redemption and reconciliation and a moment where respect was on full display. It was actually quite beautiful and it was a privilege to be a part of it. And it started with a phone call. I had just left church and my phone rang. It was a number I didn't know. I answered it, said hello, and it turned out that it was a neighbor who lived in the apartments not the Micah homes, but the apartments on the other side of the alley. And she, the person on the other end of the phone said to me, um, there's a person who's by the tennis courts who's having a mental health crisis, and I'm not sure how to help them. And so I went, I went and I gave them some food and I gave them a pad, and I can see them out my window but I'm worried about him. 
He's sitting in the sun. He's getting burned. Um, and I didn't know what to do, so I prayed. And in my prayer, I was told to call the church. So that's how she got to me, because my number is on the entry machine. I said, okay, well, I just left the church, but I'm going to head back. And, and Beth was in the driveway. I'm like, come on, Beth, going back to church. So... And on the way, though, because I had known enough to know that I need to phone a friend, so I phoned Ann Noonan, who has been working in um, mental health and recovery for 35 years and counting. I probably got that number wrong. 40, oh boy. 40, oof. And so we talked through a couple of things, and um, most importantly, Ann reminded me that Longmont Police Department has mental health response teams especially during the day. And part of my work history, which you may or may not know, is I worked at a group home for adults living with schizophrenics. So I had some skill, or at least some familiarity. So we go to the tennis courts, and the person is still there. And, you know, Beth and I talked about this last night, and it really was, it was a very new experience for Beth, um, and Anne was a phone-a-friend away, willing to come over, but we, we were okay. Very quickly, in the presence of people who were there to only offer support and care, the person who was having a difficult moment um, agreed to the suggestion that we call for a mental health support. He agreed, made a great decision in that moment. And so then I called the person who called me because she was a little leery about calling the police because you know that can go a lot of different ways. Um, but I called her up and I said, here's what I've done, here's what he's consented to. And so I just wanted to let you know because you're gonna see police vehicles. But it's a mental health response, it's gonna be different. She was a little nervous and I get that. So she came back down, and so there are three sort of people, and then one police officer came, and then another police officer came, and I have to tell you that the five of us created a safety net. There was no rush to resolution. There was no shaming. There was complete respect offered to this person. And in the course of the conversation, I heard the police officer say, when's the last time you ate? And the person said, about three days ago. He said, well, that concerns me. And the woman who was living in the apartment said, you know, there's probably a nice, quiet, dark room you can go to. The night of a room, right? Because there we were sitting on aluminum bleachers. It was like the sun was blaring. It was way too much. And very gently, very slowly, in the support of that place, he agreed to go for an evaluation. So he got in the car with a police officer. Um, there were no handcuffs. 
no struggle, no nothing. Everything went well. And it was actually a beautiful moment. Um, you know, watching him pull away, a, a piece of our hearts went too, and are still there. And we activated our prayer list uh, through an email. Some of you are on that list of prayers. It's not a public list. And so I offer that to you as a place where sometimes we're asked to go that we may not think about going. No, I just, I just left church. I'm not going back to church. Yes, you are. Because I have to tell you, those phone calls don't come very often. There are phone calls that come that don't get a response. And there are ones where you know it's time to go. See, that big, that big catch that took place in the net, and remember, being caught in a net, and this is imperfect, but being caught in a net is very different than being hooked. All those fish that were brought to shore that day had to be used. There was no refrigeration. Couldn't put it in the freezer. You had to use it. Feed my sheep. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. So sometimes it's a bottle of water. Sometimes it's the care and respect that every person deserves. Sometimes in the presence of hearing things that you've never heard before and never want to hear again, you just say, I believe you. And as one of the other officers said, we're not here to judge you. It's important to connect the dots, to allow a new constellation to emerge out of the stars that are the experiences of your life. And I think it's important to do it, and you don't know that you've gotten to the end until God's love and presence in the person of Jesus or one of the many people that Jesus appears as is the star whether by day or by night, that guides us on our way.